Welcome back to another episode of the podcast and also welcome to all students returning to Dundee, either physically or virtually from us here at the Politics Society. This in-depth and very interesting episode was recorded online and it does have a few slight audio issues, but please do stay tuned for a very interesting discussion on the future of human rights that I'll let John introduce. Hi. Recent events across the world have seen new questions arise about civil and human rights in our society. Today, we are joined by Dr. Edzia Cavallo from the university's politics department. Her research has an emphasis on human rights and qualitative electoral research. Thank you so much for joining us today, Edzia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful day outside and I hope we have a wonderful time discussing maybe not so wonderful issues. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for having me. So to jump into it, Edzia, do you think the effects of COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions we've seen on our lives recently has changed the way that we value human rights? Uh, so my answer to that is a typical academic's answer, and that's yes and no. Uh, the reason I think that it has um, is because it's brought a lot of issues, you know, front and center, um, highest attainable standard of health or right to health in short. Uh, and these have to do with, um, you know, the right to access to medicines, for example, uh, you know, can you get a COVID test? Who can get a COVID test? And um, you know, earlier it was, if you think you have COVID symptoms, go and ask for a COVID test. Now, because of the uh, limitations on actual available, availability of these tests, the government is restricting access. So uh, these have human rights implications. What if you can't get access to a test? Is that determined randomly or is that determined by other factors such as uh, what income? you uh, you um, have or which postcode you're from or, and so on. So uh, there, are, there are human rights elements to these issues. Um, there were initially problems about um, hospital equipment, about uh, not enough respirators. We don't think of these as human rights issues, but these are because when it comes to the right to health, it's about access to medicines. These are human rights issues. Um, the main issue in relation to the right to health is the right to a health system. So this has everything to do with the NHS, mm. right? What is the role of the NHS in a pandemic like this? Should it be focused on just the pandemic or should it be focused on broader provision of healthcare? So we've seen uh, being reported in the press that in the UK, more people are going to die from medical neglect there uh, during and since the lockdown than from the pandemic so people not getting access to um, uh, medicines not getting access to doctors not getting access to surgeries and so on and and healthcare really because of the lockdown um, all of this is about the right to health and so if um, you're paying attention to human rights and you know what human rights are about, then these issues would make absolute sense to you in terms of the importance of human rights. And, and this is just one right. You know, so I, I haven't spoken about issues related to the right to education and, and what that means, like who gets access to schools, um, under what conditions, uh, who doesn't get access to schools. Is it a violation of the right to education if parents keep their children back from going to school because they are worried about their children not being safe. Um, I mean, I can go on and on and on <laughs> about the human yeah. rights impact of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I mean, two other things that, um, that again, people will be aware of is uh, the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on 
families and individuals who are economically disadvantaged, right. on communities that are economically disadvantaged, on people of color. I mean, this is not about the pandemic deliberately, genetically um, harming you know, people of color or people who are mm. economically disadvantaged. This is different, right? This is about yeah. what structures we have in place in society and who we value in our society. The no part of the answer is what I kind of already mentioned, which is we don't think of these terms as human rights. We don't think of these issues as being human rights issues. And so we don't actually realize how much and how integrated the concept of human rights is in our lives. Um, and so if we were to be educated, let's say, or we were made aware that all of these are human rights issues and that if our rights are violated, this is how we can seek redress or this is how we can claim our rights, um, then it would be a completely different ballgame, right? But especially in the UK, none of this, the popular discourse is absolutely not in terms of these are human rights violations. So, so do you think that if human rights were taken more centrally into policy for combating COVID, you know, as in the political discourse more, do you think we'd be able to like tackle the virus more effectively and more fairly? I think we would be able to tackle the virus more fairly because the effective mm. tackling of the virus is about, uh, I think, science yeah. more than uh, social policy. Or and actually, let me rephrase mm. that. It is about science and about social policy. But I don't think um, the effectiveness has so much to do in relation to human rights. I think the fairness has to do with human rights. So... Yeah. Whether the virus, uh, whether the pandemic affects everybody equally, that has to do with human rights. Do you think that prioritising the right to health in this pandemic was the right way to go about it? I don't think that the right to health was prioritised in the, in the UK's policy. I think, and this is my personal opinion based on my reading of, the, of what has happened. Um, I think the UK government uh, seemed very worried about the economic uh, impact yeah. and uh, and its decisions were largely driven uh, by trying to minimize the economic impact of the pandemic so so yeah i don't think that the right to health was prioritized at all because if it was prioritized we wouldn't have had all these problems do you think we're undergoing a global shift in our perceptions of freedom i mean we've recently seen the rise of the black lives matter movement across the us and the western world protests against the Lukashenko administration in Belarus and also more climate protests with groups like Extinction Rebellion. I'd, I'd be interested to get your sort of opinion on that. The examples that you've given, uh, you know, there have been similar things happening in the past. Uh, you know, with the US, there have been so many polities in the world in the past where you've had a democracy and a strong democracy backslide or reverse or weaken. Uh, and then uh, you have had a rise of an authoritarian regime in its place. I mean, uh, Latin America was full of these uh, regimes in the 80s and the 90s. Um, you know, the situation in Belarus right now, you could look back, uh, you know, six or seven years ago to the Gezi Park protests in Turkey, or even further back to the pro-democracy protests in Iran in 2009. And you can keep going back that way. Uh, you know, the climate protests that are going on right now have happened Ever since I was a child, I mean, I remember uh, similar protests, not maybe not on a global scale, but certainly at a local level, 
you know, within India, you had, uh, we, we, we used to call it the Chipko movement, which means the stuck movement. Let's stick to the trees, basically, you know, tree huggers kind of thing. Mm. Um, but this was done by indigenous peoples who did not want the forest within which they lived in and which was essentially their home to be destroyed by industrialization, by rapid industrialization in India. Um, you've had anti-nuclear protests all over the world for a very, very long time. So, I mean, none of this is new. And, and that's, that's the reason for my answer is I don't think our perception of freedom has necessarily changed because either because of all the current events that are happening or because of, um, because of the pandemic. I think we perhaps value freedom a little bit more. Um, we certainly freedom of movement, uh, the freedom to you know go out and watch a, f- a movie in a cinema, uh, or the freedom to just go out and walk in a park without wearing a yeah. face mask. <laughs> you know things like that. I think we value that a little bit more than we used to. But I don't think our perception of freedom has changed. Or maybe that's just me being an old fogey, you know. <laughs> having a longer memory than uh, than many of you sort of um maybe that's just it so um yeah i mean human rights have been used as a tool by communities and groups for a very long time you know since it came into so since it was codified in international law in the mid 1940s um and many of these communities fight for justice without using the discourse of human rights um, so even today, the the issues that we see, um, some of them use the language of human rights and some of them don't. Um, so yeah, just going back to your question, no, I don't think there's been a change in our perception of freedom. I think we just value it more. We kind of value these things more now, but it's not really going to have any sort of lasting or meaningful effect after the pandemic's over. It, it might have a meaningful effect. I didn't say it, it wouldn't have a meaningful effect. I mean, okay. um, I think your generation of uh, uh, your generation, I was going to say young people, but I thought that is so patronizing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, uh, um, I think your generation have a different perception of what is important to my generation, let okay. us say. Uh, and I think that is important because that then drives um, what happens 15 or 20 years from now when you get into positions of power. And by you, I don't mean John or Jake, but I mean, you know, people of your generation, they get into positions of power and their their formative years determine what they consider to be important. Which brings us to the question, what were Boris Johnson's formative years like? But anyway, sorry, if, any, if there are any conservative listeners in the room, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly sympathize with you because Boris Johnson is not a conservative. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, my husband is a, is a conservative, so I can say this with uh, all sincerity. <laughs> Because I have you seen his angst firsthand. <laughs> yeah, I've no, I've no doubt. How do you think we should be viewing people who are continuing to protest and also pursue human rights causes during a lockdown when the disease is still spreading? Yeah, no, that's a fantastic question. Uh, and that's the, that's the kind of issue that human rights cannot solve. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's it's an issue of the clash of rights. Um, and so if you do my level three course, you will understand this better. <laughs> no, no, that, yeah, kidding aside. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the idea that um, human rights are all equal. They are all yeah. equally important because they are, um, uh, they are held by an indivisible human being, right? A yeah. human, you cannot, uh, you cannot divide a human being and say, oh, their head is more important than their hand or yeah. their, yeah. that's why human rights in the way that we understand them now is, are equally important. But the problem with them being equally important is what happens if two of them are held to be important by different people. And, and that's the kind of issue that we face in terms of uh, prioritizing the lockdown on one hand versus prioritizing a protest against, let's say, police brutality on the other. You have a, cl- a clash of, um, you know, the right not to fall um, uh, the right to be protected, let's say. Uh, it's not the right to help, but you know, it, it, it's the state's duty to make sure that you are not unduly um, uh, affected by a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, it's the right to uh, 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 demand justice for uh, some brutality. Yeah. Um, they are you know, equally important. So how do you prioritize this? I don't know the answer to that. Do you think it's a bit of an impossible question? Um, it is an impossible question to answer under a human rights umbrella. Yeah. So yeah. you would have to use a different uh, principle, a different concept to solve that question. So if you were to answer which of these two human rights is important, I don't know. They're both okay. equally important. So what should happen? You'd have to use a different uh, principle. You could say, "Oh, we are going to prioritize. We are going to use uh, a law of law, law and order principle, um, or we are going to use uh, um, national security principle, or something else." Mm-hmm. You know. But from a human rights perspective, you get a stalemate. At least yeah. that's how I would see it. I was just going to say it's definitely interesting. Uh, like when you see on the TV during like the like during lockdown, even like all of the protests and everything is, you think it's mad that this is happening like during a pandemic, but like mm. at the same time you're thinking like, well, what else can they do? Like you can't just like, um, you know, not, not protest, but then it's just, it's crazy seeing it. And then also at the same time, there's people protesting against like lockdown as well, yeah. like, like the anti-maskers and yeah. everything. And then people right. like loads of people meeting up in a park without masks, like protesting against wearing them. It's just, it's crazy it's yeah. all happening during this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. no, it absolutely is. And, and uh, again, that's another interesting one, right? Where do you draw the line between the right to freedom of uh, speech, which is what the protest is, um, and yeah. you know, the right to ensure that you're safe, really? It's, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's the right to life. So yeah, no easy answer there. From that. Once the effects of the pandemic have been felt, what do you think the future of human rights is? So, I mean, in the last, let's say, five or six years, human rights have been, um, I, I can't put it in any other way, because that's how I've seen it. Yeah. So human rights have been under threat. The concept of human rights has been under threat. And 
I think the pandemic has exacerbated the situation a little bit because the attention of states has moved away from trying to address long-standing problems such as, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement or, you know, in Belarus, uh, the, the problem of what this polity is all about and what is the role of the people in this polity. Um, so the, the focus of states has moved away from addressing long-standing problems to addressing the here and now and the immediate issue of the pandemic. And so I think a lot of things are getting pushed under the carpet. A lot of things are being ignored and therefore becoming worse. So I think it's going to be a massive challenge for the human rights community uh, in once the pandemic is, I don't know if it's going to be over, but certainly once we get a vaccine, and we are able to control it a bit better. You know, the structure of the of the human rights system at the moment is not very good anyway, right? The structure in international law is state-centered, and therefore they can decide what these laws are, what their weaknesses are. If a law is somehow very strong and very um, restrictive of state behavior, so it restricts states what states can and can't do, then states can imp- design institutions that weaken that law, even though that law itself is very strong. And this is kind of what has happened with human rights. You have such wonderful aspirations that have been legalized in international law. And then the implementation of those aspirations and of, uh, of those legal guarantees is extremely weak. So, you know, we've already had a massive issue with what, uh, hum- what the human rights system is. Then you add to that the fact that over the last decade or so, you've had viewpoints such as populism or xenophobic nationalism gaining more and more popularity, particularly since 2009 uh, economic crisis. And these viewpoints that are gaining popularity are the exact opposite of what human rights are. You know, where mm. Human rights are about the dignity of each and every individual. No matter who they are or what they have done, none of that matters. Whereas, you know, uh, viewpoints such as populism or xenophobic nationalism, and I'm using the term xenophobic nationalism deliberately because not all nationalism is xenophobic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these kinds of viewpoints prioritize some people over others. Um, So, you know, we need to find a response to these viewpoints. And I think the human rights community has fallen very short in finding a response to that, to these viewpoints. Is somehow, we just don't seem to have the language to respond to those yeah. ideas. And you know, the last challenge is uh, misinformation. You know, deliberate, systematic misinformation that is now uh, everywhere because of the reach of the, uh, of the web. Uh, and where before, uh, you know, I, I remember a time when the internet didn't exist. <laughs> um, and, and how difficult it was to find information on anything. You had yeah. to go to books, basically. That was it. Um, and now you have all of this information at your fingertips. But of course, there's the flip side to that. Um, and again, you, the human rights community has fallen very short uh, in trying to understand how to counter this misinformation. 
so yeah we have there, there are a lot of challenges to the human rights community and these challenges have some of them have always been there and some of them have come up in the last decade or so so i think the future of human rights is really up in the air uh, it's really going to depend on how we respond to these challenges how well we can respond to these challenges like when you see the news i mean it's a little bit less so now but um like during lockdown like literally all it was on the news was virus so you think like what what isn't being talked about now it's not even misinformation it's just no information on things that isn't the virus related you know um and how you're saying it's about language um being an issue for human rights because it i, I agree with there it doesn't really gel with politics because we politicians like uh like to try and answer things is with like a simple solution like you know, well, I you know, like build a wall, all that sort of thing, and that like with populism. But um, yeah, I'm just saying the abstract ideas of human rights doesn't really work with politics rhetoric, so it's kind of hard to get. Through. It depends on what kind of politics it is, right? So if the if if the the political uh, I want to say ideology, but that's the wrong term. Um, let's talk in terms of party politics. So if human rights is integrated in terms of mm-hmm. what a particular party believes. Uh, and what its core precepts are, then uh, political discourse and human rights discourse don't have to be uh, the don't have to be opposites. You know, so it okay. it depends on uh, on what um, what that particular political party really values and and how how they um, what vision they have for a for a country. But most political parties have to find a compromise between these ideologies or what they believe and winning uh, and and that's not an easy thing to do uh, you, you know you can't stay pure about your ideology and expect to win but then you can't go yeah. too far away from our, your ideology because then what do you stand for so yeah exactly um, so yeah i think in terms of political in terms of political discourse um it's a difficult thing because very few political parties in the world if any in fact embrace human rights discourse do you think if the language with which we discuss human rights met the potency of the language used by populists and the far right would it anyway invalidate human rights or the kind of message that we're sending no i don't think it would invalidate it at all the language of human rights the reason human rights are still being spoken about is because they are a potent language mm-hmm. there is a power and an extraordinary symbolism of human rights that has been taken up by communities and by groups of people and by individuals even over and yeah. over and over again uh you know uh nelson mandela's um uh, discourse was very much human rights oriented towards mm-hmm. the latter part of his uh, of his uh, work in south africa certainly not the first part but certainly towards uh, towards the latter part of his time i mean some of the language of martin luther king junior was very much human rights oriented even though he didn't necessarily or at least as far as i know didn't use the term human rights but you know maybe colleagues who uh, do research on us history will know will be able to correct me if i'm wrong on that there have been so many groups in the world that have used the language of human rights precisely because it has that potency certainly at a local level if not at, at an international level so uh, 
no i think it would definitely um, not invalidate um, human rights it wouldn't change what it means so it wouldn't invalidate it um, okay. but i i think just saying that everybody has human rights or that i have the right to life or some you know something similar somehow has fallen short yeah of countering um a discourse which says these people are responsible for our ills or these yeah. people are to blame for our suffering and therefore we need to do something about it this it's just not been enough somehow okay well i think that just about wraps up a very very interesting discussion on human rights thank you john for joining us and also of course thank you edzia no thank you for having me as i said earlier i mean uh, the chance to to talk to both of you has also given me and um some time to myself <laughs> in the midst of all the teaching prep <laughs> uh, and, and and just a chance to think about issues and, and it's always a pleasure to talk about these issues as well so thank you Thanks again. Uh the Politics Society will be hosting a pub quiz on Tuesday 13th of October 2020 on Zoom. We'd love to see as many interested people there as possible to get a taste for the society. Look out for another new podcast episode soon. Thanks again for listening.